Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today we start a small series we're going to be in for a couple of weeks called Rhythm, Rest, and Rejoicing. We're beginning to look at a couple of the often neglected disciplines of the Christian life that are not focused on a whole lot. Today's message is called A Life Unplugged. We're going to be looking at really the core idea of how necessary it is to unplug from technology, from distractions, and really get some times of quietness, stillness, reflection in our life if we are to really experience the life of the Christian faith the way it was meant to be experienced. Also, don't forget we have devotionals posted online Monday through Friday on NorthShoreVineyard.org. And this is the first podcast that I have to say was delivered from our new building. It's the same building, but we took down a wall, so we got room for close to 100 people in our uh, new configuration of the building. So, if you've been wanting to visit and uh, you didn't know if there was room, we have a few more chairs open. So, without further ado, let's head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard. Name this tune. Dun, 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 dun. Jetsons. All right. I know the delivery was not the best. Uh, anybody remember that cartoon, The Jetsons? Meet George Jetson. Last service, I called his dog, his boy Elmo, or his dog Elmo, but it's it's Elroy, right? Okay. I was c- confusing my uh, children's shows. Uh, <laughs> The, the Jetsons came out back in 1962, and it was kind of a, it was from the creators of the Flintstones, and they, they kind of took the same idea with the Flintstones, except instead of taking a family and, and pushing them back to prehistoric times, they pushed them out into the future. And what's interesting about the Jetsons is it, it has a certain kind of view of technology and modernity that, that was really beginning to spring up in the, in the 1950s. And it was this kind of idea that technology would make our lives much better, much more simpler. It would free us up to enjoy what humanity is all about. So if you watch the opening credits of Jetsons, I'm I'm trying to do it from memory, but I think it went something like this. George Jetson gets out of bed and he steps onto a uh, conveyor belt. Thank you. I was going to say treadmill, but not not a treadmill. (laughs) He steps onto a, a conveyor belt and he's going along and he's got robots that come up and brush his teeth and give him coffee and, and breakfast and put his clothes on for him. And then, then he's taken by that conveyor belt and he's dropped into his flying car. And then the flying car drops him off at the office. And, and you just see like the only thing that George Jesson really has to do, the only effort he has to exert is getting out of bed in the morning. And this is from a certain kind of worldview about technology, that technology really would free us up to be uh, more lazy, enjoy life more, uh, kind of free us up from the, the mundane things of work and all the hard stuff in life, and, and we would really be able to enjoy life as it was intended to. So let me ask a question. How's that working for you? <laughs> Well, the problem with the myth of technological progress that that was kind of put forth by the Jetsons is it doesn't take into account human nature. 
If you didn't have human beings, human nature, uh, it might work. But if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we find out that human beings, their, their first sin was really going beyond God-given boundaries. Back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they were given all of creation. Look over this, guys. You get to name animals. You can get do whatever you want. This is, I created this amazing habitat for you. Do anything you want. There's only one tree you can eat of. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll die if you do that. So what did they do? They went beyond the boundaries and they did that and, and, and ate, ate of that tree. And so that was the original sin. And we find that that, that has been in, in human nature for all history, that, that we can't handle things that would normally bring us freedom because we will always go beyond the bounds. Uh, let me ask you this. Are Americans, with all the technolog- technological progress we've made in the last 50 years, are Americans actually working less? Are any of you working less because technology has freed you up to do? No. When, when technology comes along, we, we figure out, wow, we can work more and get twice as much done. I don't know if anybody caught this. Uh, my dad was telling me about a, uh, a documentary that came on on CNBC called uh, Crack Buried. Anybody heard of that? Crack Buried. Well, okay, Crack Buried is a term that has developed to describe the addictive properties of BlackBerry phones. Does anybody, does anybody want to admit this morning you've, you've had a BlackBerry addiction before? It's okay. Anyone? Okay, we got one honest person in here. All right. Uh, but the, the, the whole document... <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that one in a second. Uh, but this documentary is just talking about how some people... They got this phone years ago thinking, wow, this will free me up. I, I don't have to be at the office as much. I've got this BlackBerry. I can check emails and send messages and, and stay up to date on things. But now people are finding there is anxiety if they put this thing down for more than a couple of minutes. They've always got to be checking it. I've, I've always got to be tethered to technology. Here, here's, here's mine. Anybody got one of these? This is the iPhone. Yes. I love the iPhone. This thing is It's amazing. You realize I've got an app on here that can tune guitars. Like, I can tune my guitar as a guitar tuner. That's pretty cool. I've got, yeah. Uh, I've got a level on here. Like, a, you know, like you can set it up and, and see if something, which is ridiculous because I never use the level at home that I have. But I've got it just in case. I need to see how flat my head is. I've got GPS. I've got maps. I, I've even got apps for uh, Facebook and Twitter. And, and I found out recently I've even got like a flashlight on here. It's like a veritable Swiss army knife of a phone. I love it. But you know what? I hate this phone. <laughs> I hate this phone because somehow it's, it's managed to weasel its way into every spare moment that I had in my life. You know... Not long ago, I, I used to hate going to Walmart because going to Walmart usually meant going through a Walmart checkout line. And I'm convinced that if you look up the Greek word for hell in the New Testament, you're going to find Walmart checkout line. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus was, was aiming at. Uh, that, go during a saint's game. Yeah, really. But... Now, going to Walmart and standing in line for 45 minutes isn't bad because I've got my little digital companion. It's, it's another excuse for me to, to play Angry Birds, to check up on Facebook, to make sure that I'm up to date on all the current events of the world via Facebook. Actually, Ezra the other day, this was embarrassing. I shouldn't share this, but uh, 
I was playing the uh, farmer's market over here in Covington, playing some music, and some friends of ours had come from uh, over in Gonzales to, to hear some music, and uh, Ezra's sitting down with him at the table in front of me, and the guy had an iPhone, and Ezra's looking at it, and he's like, you don't have Angry Birds on here. And the guy's like, no. He's like, what's Angry Birds? He said, that's the game my dad always plays when he uses the bathroom. <laughs> Thanks, Ez. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, <laughs> but I found that this little device, all the mundane things of life, now I've got things to do. If I'm in the doctor's office, I can pull out the iPhone. If I'm standing in line at Walmart, I can pull out the iPhone. When my wife is telling me things that need to be done around the house, I can pull out the iPhone. <laughs> Not that I would do that. I, it's, it's possible. <laughs> Take notes. Yes, I'm taking notes. I'm not playing, I'm not playing Angry Birds. Uh. <laughs> but you know, there was actually a time in my life, not too long ago in the, in, the, in the past, where I would be standing in line at Walmart and I might ask God what he was up to. God, what are you doing here? Is there someone I need to talk to? Do I need to catch the bill of this single mom in front of me who's having a hard time getting her credit card to work? There was times where I, I used to, when I had downtime in my day, I might ask God, what, what's, what's going on? What, what, are, what, are, what are you up to? What is going on in your realm? But now I'm finding it, it's so easy to cram every spare moment of my life with the important things like Facebook and Twitter and Angry Birds and God knows what else with this little device. It's promised to give me freedom, but it really hasn't given me freedom at all. It's kind of managed to take over the little bit of life I had left over on the margins. You know, there's a, a, a fascinating book that I read a year ago by a guy named Nicholas Carr, and he was a, a, a writer. He's written books and um, writes for The Atlantic and different uh, magazines. But he, he wrote this book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And most of us, I think we, we tend to think of the Internet and technology, we kind of think of it as innate or, you know, kind of neutral. The Internet itself, it's not bad. I mean, some people use it for bad purposes, right? So, like, some people use it for pornography or terrorist plots or fraud. But then other people, like North Shore Vineyard, we use it for podcasts and devotionals and things like that. And other people use it to coordinate aid for, for orphans in third world countries. But this guy, he, he began to notice something about his life about 2007. This was when he noticed it, that it was hard for him to pay attention to anything for more than about five minutes. Anybody notice that? It's just getting hard like, to focus on anything. And so he began to kind of question, why is this going on? Well, it led him on a search, and he started to look at a lot of the studies that were coming out by neurologists and, and sociologists and, and, and folks who were studying the human brain. And actually, it led him to find out that, that our interaction with technology is actually changing our minds. It's, it's changing our brains. It's not just... Uh, you know, kind of a neutral thing. There's actually a guy in the, in the 60s named uh, Marshall McLuhan who was a uh, communications guru, and he, he was famous for this one line, the medium is the message. And, and he was really prophetic, but he was basically saying that, that our interaction with any technology is, going, technology is going to shape us far more than the message embedded in that technology. 
He said this back in the 60s when all they had was radio and TV. And what they found, it, it was interesting in this book, this, they, they, there was a study done where they found a handful of people that had never used the Internet and uh, the interwebs, and they uh, put them in a brain scanner, and they got them to play around on Google and Wikipedia. And you know that after only five hours, they began to know change, notice changes in the brain, the early stages of, of whole, whole new parts of their brain that were being stimulated and turned on. Just five hours. Five hours of interaction. The internet is actually causing us to, causing our minds, our, our technology, whether it's cell phones or internet or uh, smartphones or whatever, it's causing us to always be in this place of looking at one thing or the next. You know, when you read a web page, it's different from reading a book, isn't it? Because when you read a book, you're, you're in a reflective kind of mood. When you're reading a web page, you're, you're scanning, you're clipping clicking on the next hyperlink that'll take you to this store and you find out the background and the whole time you're, you're trying not to be distracted by the advertisements that they're getting very good at distracting you with. You've got this pretty girl that pops up here. You've got this, oh, you can lose weight and look like uh, Brad Pitt in uh, three weeks. Uh, You've got, you got spam on your computer. You've got this and that. And, and so you're always perpetually in a stressed out place trying to find the information you need. You are not engaging the reflective parts of your mind. You're always picking and choosing. We are losing our ability to reflect. And that was kind of the findings of this guy after pulling all these different studies that, that for all the good that the Internet is doing, and actually there are some good benefits in the human mind. If, do we have any surgeons in here? Okay. Well, if we had any surgeons here, uh, we need to get some surgeons in this church. Dang it. If we had any surgeons, they did find out that playing video games, if you're a surgeon, if you play a lot of video games, it actually makes you a better surgeon. Uh, They didn't find out that it's helpful for pastors or teachers or (laughs) business guys. But, But the downside is we are programming parts of our mind to be used that that are, are needed for quick thinking and, and going from one text to, to the other. We're getting a lot better at that. But the downside is we've become so accustomed to doing that, we don't know how to get quiet. We don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to just reflect over our life and the world around us and maybe what God is doing. Because every last inch of our life is crammed full of stuff that's vying for attention. And we're always having to, to choose between this thing and this thing and this thing. And now we find ourselves even getting anxious when we get quiet for just a few minutes. If I wanted to run some people off today, we could actually just try to be quiet in this room for five minutes. And I guarantee some of you, that'd be like the hardest thing you've done all week. Like being quiet in a room full of people, like anything but that. Technology, we've got to realize that, that maybe we can't just keep going without questioning the effects on us. You know, the, the, if you look at some of the greatest breakthroughs, whether in the world of science, science or creativity, they've not come from people who are frenetically always trying to go and go and go. Like take Einstein, for instance. Ever heard of him? Einstein's famous theory, what was it? Theory theory of relativity. E equals mc squared. You know, Einstein did not come up with that theory when he was at a university among a bunch of research people who were, you know, just trying to figure out the mysteries of the world. Einstein, you know where he came up with that theory? He was working as a clerk, kind of a dead-end job for a a brilliant person like that. You know, he's working as a file clerk. And so 
in the midst of his day, sometimes he'd get everything done. He would just stare out the window and daydream. He would ride the streetcar to work and just kind of think about things like light and time and space. And all of a sudden, one day, E equals MC squared. He, he, he stumbled upon that in his mind. That was from a place of reflection. And you know, in the last hundred years, science has not thrown that equation away. They've improved on a lot of things, but physicists today are still using that little piece of information. You know, we tend to think a lot of times that, that cramming more in will get us more productive, right? Have you ever been in college or high school and you crammed for some tests before? Is it just me? Any procrastinators in here? Okay. Uh, yeah, I found, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm kind of coasting through the semester. It gets to that last week and it's like, oh, man, I got to learn this stuff and I got to learn it quick. And so you cram and you cram and you cram. They've actually found studies that say that, that now at some point cramming doesn't really help you at all. Sometimes it's better to just get a good night's sleep. So everything that may seem kind of counterintuitive to us in the world that we're living that is always frenzied and, and, and fast-paced and changing and stuff, we need to step back and, and, and understand that whether it's creativity, science, or even the journey of faith, it requires getting quiet, getting still, reflecting on life. You know, I, I found when I first planted this church a year and a half ago, it was funny, when I was at the vineyard on the South Shore, I would speak like once every six or eight weeks. And so when I would speak, it was, I had like all this time to prepare. I would, by the time I got up there on stage, I'd, I'd had 40 hours to prepare my message. I mean, I was like over-prepared. I had like 18 pages of notes and I would uh, practice it and I had film clips and all this stuff. And then I get over here to the North Shore and it's like, I got to come up with something brilliant every week. And, uh, and for those of you who've suffered through our first few months, I thank you for still attending this church. But uh, I, rel- I realized real quickly, trying to come up with a, a message every week, like, that was hard. And my tendency many times was to get stressed out and just, i got to push this thing harder. But finally, after about a month or two of trying to do that, I, I realized there's this park about three blocks down the road called Bogafalia Park, which if you haven't been there, it's a really cool park. they got a little river and stuff. And so one day I was just like, you know, I think I just need to sit down and get quiet. <laughs> Left the cell phone, left the computer, took a notebook, and I just went out there for an hour. The pen. Not to, to solve all my message problems or anything, but just to get quiet. Listen. I actually started doing that. I don't do it much in August. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward for about another month, but I've actually started making that a discipline in my life that a couple times a week, just go out there and sit down. Now... I have to battle things on the inside. Do you ever feel guilty for just being still? Is it just me? Yeah. Like, you lazy slacker, what are you doing? You're doing nothing. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're just sitting there. You know, sometimes that's the best thing you can do is to just sit there, to just shut everything down, just get quiet. Now, I'm not even saying you got to get up and, like, just praying. I'm just saying just shut your mouth. Listen. I found that, that once I shifted in that mode, then all of a sudden everything that God wanted to talk about, it, it, it started coming forward. <laughs> I was in a place of hearing God. See, I'm a songwriter, and I've found something about writing songs. I don't write songs when life is crammed full of stuff. It doesn't happen. When I'm going and going and going, I don't write songs. I may want to write songs, but they just they, they don't happen. 
But I find if, if I just set a little time to get quiet, get still, songs just come forth. The last time that, that, that I, I had a, a, a good writing spurt of, I, I wrote probably six or seven songs in, in a period of about five days. And it was right after Christmas. I, I had some downtime and I just sit out on the porch with my guitar. And, and sure enough, the songs would come. Actually, some of the songs we sing here. Some of the songs I do in gigs. But they would only come when I got quiet. When I read the Psalms, I realize as a songwriter that, that the psalmist, David, that when he wrote Psalms, they didn't come from a life that was crammed full of stuff. You know, there's a psalm that says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. I am thirsty for God, for the living God. When am I going to see God again? I feel like I'm in a dry and weary land. There's another psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know what? As a songwriter, I know how he wrote those songs. He didn't write them when he was up in a palace surrounded by a bunch of luxury and all these distractions that luxury has. He didn't write it when he was out on the battlefield. He wrote those songs when he was just sitting out and he's reflecting on his life with God. And I can see David, he's just sitting there on the hill and he, and he looks off and he, it's dusk and he begins to see a, a, a deer coming down the, the side of the hill and, and down to the creek. And all of a sudden in that moment, kind of like Einstein when he got the theory of relativity, he goes, that is it. What I've been feeling all this time, what I've been feeling about my connection with God, that's it. That deer, the way that deer is thirsty for water, God, that deer is me. I'm like that. David pulls out the guitar and he writes a song <laughs> or harp or lyre or whatever you call it. <laughs> One day David's out watching his sheep, again reflecting on his relationship with God. And he looks out and he says, how do I even describe the way I feel about God or, or, or how God takes care of me? And, and then he, he, he looks out and he goes, wait a second. The way that I'm taking care of all these sheep out here, the way that I protect them and make sure that, that's just like me and God. The Lord is, is my shepherd. I don't, I don't want anything. God prepares a table before me even in the midst of my enemies, even in, in front of the ones that want to take my life. See, even the Psalms, they didn't come out of this frenzied existence. They came out of a place of quiet and solitude. And it's not just for songwriters or, or scientists. We all need that. Because as, as important as that is in the areas of creativity and science, it's, it's absolutely crucial to the life with God. Because, you know, we can see it in the, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ himself in his earthly ministry. I want to read a, a couple of passages here. I didn't write them up on the screen. But um, Matthew fourteen twenty three. And after Jesus had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. After Jesus had sent the multitudes away, what does that tell us? I mean, that might just kind of sound like passing words, like to get to the real stuff. But what does that tell me? It tells me that multitudes were coming to Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're in politics or in business, or in church, what do you do when multitudes start showing up? 
What do you do? Anybody? This isn't a rhetorical question. I mean, if, if, you got, if you're in business and all of a sudden customers are knocking at your door, what do you do? You stay open. You, you figure out some way to capitalize on that momentum. If you're in politics and all of a sudden you see a tick upward in the poll, like, oh, we just, our approval rating's 5% up after that speech. That's not the time to shut everything down, is it? That's the time to, okay, let's take to the internet. Let's, let's start going door to door. This is the time to ride that wave of momentum. Jesus, when the multitudes were coming out to him, what's he do? All right, see you guys. What? Jesus, man, there's there's people that they've been traveling all day to get here. They just got here. They haven't heard the good news of the gospel yet. Jesus is like, that's okay. Send them home. But Jesus, there's people who came that need to be healed, and and you didn't get to pray for them yet. Send them home. Now, that may sound kind of calloused and cold to you, but that was the key to Jesus' ministry. Keep keep in mind, Jesus, he was fully God, but he was fully human. And, And as we studied in Philippians not too long ago, Jesus did not grasp his godness in his life as a, as a human being. He, he lived it as a human being and dwelt by the Spirit of God. And so for Jesus to do the ministry he did, it always required sending people away so he could come aside and be with his heavenly Father. Jesus was delivered in this. We see it over and over again. Let me tell you something. If you are waiting for life to get simple before you step aside and be with God, it ain't going to happen. You know, there's always going to be more work than you can do. You know that? Like, there's always going to be more work. I, there, there's not a day that goes by here at the church where there's not more things that I could do. I, it's like, wait, I forgot about this. And if you live under the tyranny of the urgent, you will always have stuff you can do. But Jesus, at some point, he said, okay, I'm done. Done? Really? You're getting popular, man. Successful. It, it's, it's going like this thing could take over. No. Send everybody home. Mark 1.35 And early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Luke 4.42 And when day came... Jesus departed and went to a lonely place, and the multitudes were searching for him. And he came, and, and, and they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. I love this passage from Luke because Jesus is starting to get a reputation, not just for healing and preaching the good news and feeding the 5,000. Now he's getting a reputation for sending people away. <laughs> the multitudes, are, they're trying to track him down. Jesus, please stay with us a little bit longer. Come on, come on. And Jesus is always... Even though he values people, even though he loves them, he's not living the kind of existence that we do that is always pushing beyond the boundaries, always staying distracted. Even Jesus, at some point, he just called it all to an end. said, no, that's, that's it. I've got to go away, be alone, be with my heavenly Father. I want to read a psalm. This is Psalm 131, the first two verses. Because I believe this verse, these verses are a good uh, picture of what an unplugged life will look like. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a winged child 
who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is a, a, a great couple of verses about what it looks like when we step away and, and we get quiet before God. It's not even talk, this verse isn't even, they, they aren't even talking about religious activity, just getting quiet with the Lord. And the first thing we see that is, is that humility displaces pride. Have you ever noticed when you're always going, always working, always distracted, sometimes you, you start to get a little arrogant, prideful. Do you ever find that you're working so hard that you look down on people who aren't working? Is it just me? Yeah. You get kind of resentful, like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one serving up at the church. I'm, I'm working hard. Nobody else cares. And you start to get kind of proud and look down on other people. You kind of get resentful. In this place, the psalmist is writing about humility. This place, I don't have a haughty look. I'm not looking down on people. I'm not proud. I'm content with God. Second thing we see is that trust displaces self-sufficiency. You know, when you're always going, always on all the time, you start having a mindset that you're in charge. You ever notice that? Like you're always going, always, you know, like everything is falling on me. I've got the burden of all this stuff to do. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And you, you, you in, end up with kind of inflated sense of self. But what we see here is that self-sufficiency is displaced by trust. By trust. I love the picture that, that the psalmist uses. A, a weaned child. You know, a child that, that, that you're trying to wean, that, that, that child gets very anxious when mom's not around. Like, eh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, where's my next meal coming from? I, 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 I. Mom just left the room. There's separation anxiety. But... The picture that he uses, a weaned child, like, it's just a beautiful picture. A, a child that is absolutely content and trusting. Like, I don't have to worry about my next meal. I, I, I trust parents are going to give it to me. <laughs> the final thing we see here is that peace and stillness displace anxiety. I think one reason why we suffer with anxiety and worry so much is because we're always going. Because we don't have time to, to sit down and get with God. Because I can't tell you how many times in my life, and this happens on a regular basis, I get anxious and worried and, and distracted. And like, oh, how are we going to do this? Oh, my God. I mean, just even with this building, how are we going to make all this work? And, uh, and then I just sit down and it's like, God, you got it. You, you, you're God. I mean, Really? Either, either you're in this thing or you're not, and I, I think you are, and so, hey, I can trust you. If you're really in this, I can't screw it up. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> when we're always going and we don't have time to step aside and get quiet before the Lord and reflect on our own hearts and, and reflect on God, we will be bound up with anxiety. We will be bound up with worry. 
It's those moments where we just get quiet and just, just like in worship. That's why worship is such a, you know, that's one of the reasons why worship is such a big deal here at our churches. When we sing songs like strength will rise when we wait upon the Lord, God of all splendor, wonder and might, awesome creator. How can you be worried when you start to glimpse how big God is, when you get a, a view of him? You may come in here anxious and worried, but I found so many times when I just like focus my attention on God, it's like, wow, why am I worried about that? God is with me. So I want to close with three questions this morning. How can we unplug? How can we unplug our lives a little bit? First question one. Number one is, uh, what can I cut back on in my life that keeps me perpetually distracted? Ask yourself that. I'm not asking that like... Ask yourself... (laughs) What can I cut back on in my life that keeps me perpetually distracted? You know what I plan on doing this week? I'm going to get rid of my data plan on this thing. I'll still be able to check emails when I'm around Wi-Fi. still have my angry birds. But I realize, you know, I'll pay, what, 20 bucks a month just so I can have access to Facebook updates when I'm standing in line at Walmart. Do I really need that? Do I really Perfect timing. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Just got a text message. Just got a woot woot. <laughs> you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a, a week of prayer and fasting for the church, uh, asking for wisdom. And I, I, I do think God gave us wisdom. Does it look good in here? Now, that was the wisdom God gave us. So, all right. Uh, yay for God's wisdom. Um, but you know that week of prayer and fasting, what we gave up as a family, we, we unplugged the cable, and I thought it was going to kill Ezra, my little boy. He's like, he's like, no, not that. I'll give up sweets, Dad, but like, uh. It was crazy, though. By just unplugging the cable, you know what started to happen? We actually... At breakfast time, instead of watching the news or Disney Channel, we actually started talking. It's crazy stuff. Like, we actually started talking with one another. You know, I, I was reminded uh, this week as I was prepared to the message, uh, there's a friend of mine who lives in Houston, and he posted a, a photo on Facebook one night that was his family getting together, you know, him and his wife and their, their two kids, they were getting together in, in their backyard for a family night. And it was one of these beautiful nights back in the fall, and, and uh, they, they had some candles up around the yard, and, and then they had a, a fire pit going. But, but the picture was so funny to me, like the irony. I don't even think he, he got it. It's like in the picture, mom's on a laptop, uh, Susie's on her cell phone, and then Junior's playing, you know, some handheld video game device. And obviously, the, the father was using his cell phone to take the picture. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> nothing like quality family time. <laughs> It's probably like those cell phone commercials where they're, they're, they're updating their, their Facebook pages, talking to each other via Facebook. But <laughs> you know, what, what can we cut back on? You know, I mean, ever since we, that week of, of you know, cutting the cable off for a week, we've really decided we don't want to have the TV on that much in our house. So we've, even though we plugged the cable back in, it is good to check the weather sometimes. But, uh, you know, 
how can we how can we cut back on that stuff so we can be together? Second question is, how can I give a little more attention to the things that matter most in my life? I I really doubt that when I look back on my life in a few years that I'm going to regret that I didn't catch that episode of Everybody Loves Raymond a few more times. But I might regret that I didn't get off the couch and spend more time with my kids. I might regret that I was so distracted from the things that really mattered. Third question. I'm trying to have church in here. Wow. Third question, how can I cultivate more of an ongoing awareness of God's presence throughout my day? This is just, I, I just want us to think. You know, like, like for me, I really, just in studying for this, this talk this week, I, I just realized, you know, if I cut out some of my iPhone time, that's time where I can just ask God what he's up to. And I need more time of that in my life. Does anybody else need more time for that in your life? Yeah. I think God's calling us all to do that, to pay attention to Him more. So how can I do that? You know, one, one thing that we've created here on our website, which you don't have to use it on, you can, you can actually download the PDF and print it out. So, you know, I have to stay online. We're not trying to... Uh, but Monday through Friday, we have little readings from Scripture. Right now, we're just doing some simple readings from Philippians with a few questions just to reflect on. You can print that thing out and go sit on your back porch and have your morning cup of coffee and just get with God. Read a little scripture. You may, you may say, hey, look, dude, I, I want to do some of that, but I don't know how to read the Bible. I, Bible's intimidating. Well, dude, we've got these things where it's like three or four verses with some questions. It's very easy. Anybody, whether you're a Christian for years or whether you're just starting your journey, it's, but, but this is just a simple thing that we've created to help folks experience God in your everyday life, to reflect on what God's doing. So I just think these are good kinds of questions for us to ask as we go ahead, that, that we wouldn't just be moved about by all the forces around us, but that we would be alert, awake. What was that song we sang earlier? Waking hearts to life. Your love is waking hearts to life. I love that line. And I believe as we stay aware of God's presence, His love towards us, it wakes us up to, 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 to life. I hate it when my life just starts getting squeezed by everything around me and then I stay distracted because I don't even want to think about what's going on on the inside. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I just want us to close with a little reading from Scripture again, from Psalm 131, 1 through 2. And this morning, and, and this may be a good Scripture just to chew on all week, if just to read this in the morning before you start your day or, or at the, in the evening before you're going to bed. I just want to ask you this morning, we're just going to get quiet and just close your eyes and, and, and I'm going to read this out and just let's let the Spirit of God speak to us through the reading of the Word. Lord, this morning we, we just ask for your, your peace, your presence to settle upon us. Lord, that these words that, that, that we hear, Lord, that they would wake us up into the reality of where you are. Psalm 131, 1 through 2. Lord, 
My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Lord, we thank you this morning for the peace that comes of just simply getting quiet before you. Lord, that we don't have to concern ourselves with things too great for us, the state of the world economy or what's going on in this place or that place. God, we can simply just be with you and that's enough. Lord, I pray a blessing on every person gathered here today. Lord, that your peace, your grace would be upon us. Lord, I pray that that you would help us to uh, step away from the things that distract us this week, God. You'd give us wisdom on that, God, and the will to do it. Lord, I pray even though it may seem like an awkward foreign land for us sometimes of just getting quiet and getting with you, God, that, that, that we would press past the awkwardness, Lord. We would find that it's a, 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 actually a quite normal way to live in your kingdom. So just grace us to do that, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for your presence. We just sense you in such a close way in this room this morning. We're so grateful for all you are, for all you are to us. In Jesus' name. Day by day, day by day, I need a new start. Give me a new heart. Day by day, choice by choice, choice by choice. I need a new start. Give me a new heart. Choice by choice. So I'm steady, keep me still, keep me still when I stir.